Hi, this is Tony Ruggiero, the Dew Sweeper. You're listening to the Tour Coach Podcast, giving you insights into golf instruction at the highest level from on the PGA Tour to our learning center at Frederica Golf Club. All right, another edition of the Tour Coach here in the car with my dog, Chip Shot, cruising down for the holiday weekend. Thought I'd catch up with a great teacher, one of the great teachers in the game, Golf Digest Top 50, and he's making a huge name for himself with the, the way he teaches and his and the science behind it and, and all that stuff. We're going to get into it. Michael Jacobs. Michael, what's going on, man? I appreciate you, and I know you've been slammed. We've tried to do this a couple times. That's a good thing for a teacher, right? <laughs> to be the yes. yes, indeed, Tony. Thanks for having me on. Sorry, I've been trying to get on the show for a while, and a uh, little rainy afternoon, so finally have the time. No, no, it's great. It's great. And then, you know, we had tried to connect a couple times. And then what I really wanted to pick your brain on, I'm always fascinated by when somebody works with somebody and all of a sudden they start having a bunch of success. You've done some work with Padre Harrington. And I saw him at the PGA, actually. I was over there, Brandon nice. Hagee, and, and uh, you know, played phenomenal. I, I just saw, so I'm curious, and, and I think this applies to anybody that comes to see you. What was the process that you went through? Where did you start with him? And kind of take us through that. I'd like to here and I think you know we get a lot of teachers that listen to this podcast I guess we get lots of notes in and and so I think it'd be great for those that are listening to us and trying to learn what was the process you went through and where did you start and take us through the whole story yeah sure so um over the winter I think it was in December or so I got a phone call uh, asking if I would take on a new client and I said (laughs) sure I said you know I said you know who'd you have in mind and they they said it was Padraig, and he was intrigued by my book, Science of the Swing, and my videos, and he's always in a quest for speed, and uh, some of the things I can't really talk about, but just, sure, to give sure. you, yeah, just to give you a little synopsis, but, you know, the big thing in his game was he could go out and have anywhere between 20-mile-an-hour difference in his ball speed on any given day. No way. Driver. Yeah, yeah, so that's about all I could say about that, but so... You know, with the science of the swing and all the things that we do, you know, I think that they, everybody was hoping for a little adjustment with force and torquing the club and all that. And then, so we, I met with his coach at the time and we got together and we uh, discussed the swing. And then I guess the coach was impressed and he, he said, you know, we'd like to put Padres on the next call and I'm going to let you guys take it from there. And, and then we went from there. So uh, he came to visit a few times and, Worked a lot with video when he was, you know, stuck in Ireland and stuff. And he's a hard sure. worker. And it's been, uh, you know, I, I based, I, it's been a, just about a full rebuild. So it's been fun. It's been fun. He's a hard worker. He's just, he's, uh, he's great to work with. And what's yeah, great, is, a, great is when it comes to, yeah, when he comes to visit here, you know, I'm at, uh, on Eastern Long Island, which is, you know, a public course. And, uh-huh. uh, he feels right at home at the public course. And, you know, it's, He's standing in the pro shop, people walking in, looking at him. They're like, that guy looks familiar, you know? So it's kind of fun. Yeah. That's a cool place where you teach, you know, to be able to have somebody like that. He's, yeah, uh, He's a great player. He's a great guy. So let's talk about what do you have going on with the software? I haven't had you on the podcast. You've been on my radio show a bunch of times, and we've talked about so many things on the radio. But with this for the podcast, and, and especially since there's a lot of teachers and people that are really into into the golf swing. And let's talk about some of the things you're doing with Jacobs 3D out there. Sure. Um, and some sure. of the things that it's helping you find out and expose or that you, you know, maybe some things, you know, Michael, that like you wouldn't have known or there was no way to know 
if you didn't have the 3D oh, software and that definitely. type of stuff. Yeah, so we get the opportunity to work with Dr. Nesbitt, who's a genius. And um, so what we did was we officially completed the whole full-body program. So and most people are familiar with stuff that we talked about in our club analysis. Now we have the whole completed full body. So we have everything that's basically going on within the body. And uh, Dr. Nesbitt and I just submitted a paper for publishing, which is kind of unique. And I'll give you the best, quickest way to think about it is studies have been done about the human body rotating. Like, for example, it's common for some scientists to do a paper on, let's say, a diver in the air and how their body's spinning around in the air and trying to figure out ways that you could configure your body to maybe turn faster or turn slower. But what's never been done is somebody standing on the ground and using ground forces to continue to add torque to the system. When you're looking at a diver or you're looking at a gymnast doing a somersault in the air, that's called torque-free motion. So that's a little bit easier to kind of calculate. But when the golfer is using the ground and putting more torque into the body and you're trying to analyze how the body's handling that and are there ways to manipulate it, that's what Dr. Nesbitt created and that's what we published. So that'll be coming out. I mean, there's, there's three really good, interesting findings in there. So that's like the newest of, of the stuff. And I, and I used it a lot when I worked with Patrick. I would say that's the thing we worked on the most. And aside from that, the things that I didn't know, oh, man, it's so much, so much. Uh, I will say this, though. I think that when I look back on my teaching career, I spent a lot of time on, like, individual parts and, like, trying to get somebody to, let's say, move their hips a certain way or, you know, how much they were going to turn a certain part or take their arm this way. And, and what I found is as we move on, it's more of a whole, a whole thing. Like if you're going to, if you're going to focus in, let's say on the hips, it's more about what it's going to do to the rest of the system than just trying to have a tour average in hip turn or something like that. So what we, what I've definitely found is it's more of a, it's more of a, a global thing with using, utilizing the whole entire body instead of breaking it down per, per body part. So that's pretty interesting to me. So instead of like, you know, where people, you know, measure like, and they'll say he's got X number of degrees of hip turn and X number of degrees of shoulder turn or whatever, you look more at the whole body and where everything correct. is and correct, correct and, and, correct. and how all of that interrelates and affects each other. Correct. And there is nothing more determinate on what a person can do, let's say, and how much they turn their hips based on where the arms and club are and how fast they're moving. So one great thing that Dr. Nesbitt did for me is he mathematically removes the club if I want to just analyze the, you know, just the spinning body, and then the club gets put back in so I can see what effect the club has and doesn't have. And it has a huge effect. So if you're out there at home making practice swings without a golf club, I would recommend making swings with the club. Okay. It, it, the club it, it, changes what you can do. Club changes a lot of, you know, for example, how fast the club is moving at the end of the backswing and how far away that club is from the center mass of your entire body has huge effects on how you can start your downswing. Interesting. So, you know, how do you – got lots of questions here. I'm driving, so I'm thinking of all the things I can ask you and pick your brain right, about. Sure. So, like, when you – you know – if you're a 
a teacher that's up and coming, you're 33 years old and you, you know, you just get or whatever and you got to, you know, you're getting going and you don't have like the money for like years and all that stuff. How would you advise a teacher like that? What technology would you have them get started with? And how can they use, how can teachers use some of the stuff that you found and that you do maybe without that technology and help regular golfers that are in front of them? Yeah, I mean, you don't need the technology to be able to help golfers. I mean, you could learn so much just right. from, from the stuff. So it, it just takes time. You know, a young up-and-coming teacher or some, or even a golf swing enthusiast, there's so many people who are just like right. want to learn as much about it. It just takes a lot of time, and you got to be patient, and you got to go step by step. I think everybody's in a hurry, and everybody's trying to make their mark, and it, it just takes a lot of time. Like, for example, it took Dr. Nesbitt and I nine years to complete the club program to the way that you see it now, where it's fully understandable and people know what's going on. And I expect the body program to take me five years to get to a certain point. So my recommendation would be, number one, to be patient, to go slowly, <laughs> and to master a, a thing at a time. Like sit down and say, okay, this winter I'm going to sit down and I'm going to learn more about how the club rotates. And just go piece by piece and be super patient. And it's okay to, you know, take your time because it, it, you need to take your time. I think that's great advice because I was talking to a somebody messaged me, a young teacher, and asked for advice. And I said, I think that one of the, I mean, I don't know, problem's not the right word, but everybody's in a rush to, yeah. like, be famous, for lack of a better word, you know? And that they don't, I don't think that, and, and people teach for two or three years, and they put a bunch of stuff on social media, and then they have a guy, you know, they have a guy make it through first stage of Q school, and they think they've solved the golf swing, yeah, you know, absolutely. And, yeah. and, 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 and people lose sight of people. I think like you, I've known about you for a long time, a lot of it through our good friend, Matt Rudy, but like you've been working on this stuff for a long damn time. Long time. Right? Like I'm 42, you know? I'm 42 years old and I've been teaching golf half my life, 21 years. So it takes a long time. Right. And I've been teaching roughly over 20 years. So like, you know, I always come back to these sayings that my old mentor would say. I didn't realize he was as smart as he was when I worked for him. But, you know, he always would say, you can't get 10 years of experience in one day less than 10 years. That's right. And so when you started on this, what prompted you to go on this journey, this like this scientific journey where you really wanted to figure all out? Because I think that makes you different than other teachers. I mean, sure. I don't know. Yeah, that I, can you, like, I can tell you the exact moment. So. I was a really good athlete when I was a kid, and okay. I was a great golfer, and I wanted to get better. Like, I wanted to, you know, like you did, I'm sure. You were out there practicing yeah. your three-foot putt to win the U.S. Open, right, as a kid. Yeah. And I went to a famous golf teacher, and I got worse, and I got really <laughs> worse. And the more I tried and more golf teachers I tried, I got worse and worse. And I just said, "This how could this be? I'm going to, you know, touch me to figure this whole thing out myself. And it, here we are, 20 years later. And so when you started on the journey to figure it out, did you initially go to science and to people like Dr. Nick? It was a golfing machine. Yeah, I went to Ben Doyle. Okay. Golfing machine. 
you know, I, I learned a lot of the, my instruction, I think, is based in the roots of the golf machine, okay? Right. You know, I know Brian Manzella, who does a lot with you. I mean, obviously, he was very involved in it as well, and, and he's put some stuff up recently, you know, that talk, you know, where it's stuff that we used to talk about in the golf machine. How much of the stuff, like, when you went from golf machine to science, like, was there a lot of stuff that was spot on? Was there a lot of stuff that was way uh, off? Um, how do I say it? Well, I don't think the golfing machine was a science book as much as we thought it was. Right. You know, I mean, for example, the equations of motion are never discussed, right? I mean, okay. rigid rigid body dynamics and the equations of motion, things like the center of mass of the club, it was never in that book, you know. So I think it was just, you know, at the time it was great. And, you know, Ben Doyle was a great teacher. If it wasn't for Ben Doyle, I don't think it would have continued on as much as long as it did. But then, you know, we treated it as gospel back in the day. And then mm-hmm. as time went on, we adjusted, you know. You know, we saw that golfers weren't hitting down on their drivers anymore as the driver head got bigger and longer. And golfers weren't keeping a flat left wrist and sustaining a line of compression. And we adjusted, you know. And some people, you have to be willing to adjust, you know. I mean, even stuff recently, like originally – I presented my club stuff in a real simplified way, and then I adjusted to a more complex way in my new book, and it's, it was an adjustment. So it's always, uh, you know, you always have to expect that two or three years from now you're going to be doing things differently, and that's progress. Yeah, and I think that's the mark of a great teacher, too, one that embraces change, right? I mean, the game's obviously evolving. And, again, too, one of the other things that I wanted to talk and point out is, like, you, know, you, you listen to people – people get in these pissing contests online, right? And it's like everybody's got to be right or wrong. And, you know, and they started doing that, too, towards the golf machine. And, like, I always looked like golf machine was like, at the time, it was the best we had, right? I mean, that was some of the best information that was out there. Yeah, it was at the time. It's all relative to the time. Right, like you can't be critical of those people no. No. Be, when they didn't have access to 3D data like you no. have. No, like Dr. Nesbitt, like Dr. Nesbitt always says, double pendulum 2D model in the 60s and 70s, like search for the perfect swing. At the time, that was a big deal to be able to figure that out. But you can't criticize that because they didn't have a motion capture machine 30, 40 years later. You know, that's just the way it goes. Yeah, there's all all kinds of quibbling in golf and like one of the big arguments now is, can you push on the back of the shaft in the downswing? That's like the big argument now. We say okay. you, you you push on the back of the shaft, yeah. And the chances are in modern golf, you push on the back of the shaft, and whatever you did to push it is probably there's still some push left. It might not you can't be adding push, but I'm sure you put enough push in to where there's still some push showing, and then there's a whole nother action of golf science that says you never push on the back of the shaft. You only pull away the back of the shaft. So that's the big debate. So, at what, the explain, so what would be the opposite of what you talked about first, the pu- pushing on the back of the shaft? What are they, What is the other side trying to say happens? The other side says that you pull, you pull away the back of the shaft. So the whole time you're bringing the club down, your right hand is trying to take it in the backswing direction. Huh. So like the old famous Ben Hogan, you know, wish he had three right hands halfway down. You know that little toss that everybody yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, the little toss you feel halfway down with a little, you know, in your right hand and you see the right wrist going through flexion and extension. All the published works of the other side would say you can't look at 
the motion of the hand, you can't look at that. The club is being reversed by the golfer. So mm. It's counterintuitive. Yeah, that's very counterintuitive. Uh, yeah, that's the, whole, that's the whole argument in golf. That's it right there. We say that, well, we know for a fact, somewhere along the line in the downswing, you push on the back of the club, the back of the shaft, and then whatever push you had, chances are there's still going to be a little bit present. It's going to be less, but there's still going to be a little present, and that's the whole you know, six-year argument in golf. It's as simple as that. So you boiled down that whole pissing contest to what we just yeah. talked about. I've been saying that for five or six years, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I gave a whole presentation on at the Top 100 thing proving that there is still some push on the back of the shaft. When you see Bryson DeChambeau, bat, you know, slam a club off his back, you know, when he's hitting a 300-yard drive, yeah, it might look like in the hitting area his hand's coming off the club, but – Somewhere along the line in that downswing, he pushed hard on the back of the club, and some of that push is still present at the hit. It wouldn't slam into his back on the other side if it wasn't. I agree with that. By the way, I, I don't know if I talked to you since then, but you did a great job on that presentation. I was impressed with the uh, fact that obviously the stuff that you do is very scientific and can be complex and complicated. But right. I think that's the art form to be able to stand up there and explain it in a way that most people could understand and also the fact that you were willing to stand up there because like the thing I always hate about those rooms is half the people in there are trying to learn and listen to you and the other half aren't listening at all they're trying to prove you wrong and they never take uh, time to listen to the damn thing Tone, Tone, I love you dearly it's more than half trying to prove me wrong <laughs> I, was, I was being nice I was being nice I was using round numbers <laughs> so yeah I was told at that speech to go all out and give the whole, you know, to go all out and make it as complex as needed. It'll be a good shakeup for the industry. So I did. Well, I think that, I mean, we could, you and I could sit and have a beer and talk about the culture of golf instruction for a long time. But, like, to me, that's one of the, one of the problems or one of the issues in our industry is, like, everybody's trying to tear everybody down instead of, you know, it's okay if people have different ideas and don't agree. Competitive. Everybody's competing, I guess. I don't know. There's a lot of when, what I've learned in the scientific world, especially with publishing papers and all that. The biggest current, the currency of the academic world is ego. <laughs> I mean, that's the it's, currency. It's the currency of the golf world, too. It seems to be. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of ego in it. I think it's in every industry. Yeah. Agree. Agree. And I think that was so, you know, and, and I, I told Brian this in the airport in New Orleans one time, like, I never put out, like, I put stuff on Instagram and social media, but I very seldom ever, especially with a tour player, put the stuff I'm working on, right? Because the last thing I want is some jerk off that's never taught anybody in his life jumping on there and saying a bunch of stuff that, like, he doesn't know anything about, right? You, you never know what's going on between a player and a coach, like... For example, a different player I taught, another pretty famous player, he only wanted me to work on him from the hand, just, I forget, what did he say? He said from the, from the elbows down to the club head. That was it. He didn't want me to ever say anything about anything of his upper arms, his body, his feet, his head, anything. It was only, he only asked me to make adjustments to lower arms, hands, and club. So you never so you know. Right. Hey, if that's what the guy ordered, you know, that's what we did. I think it's crazy to ridicule 
or criticize teachers when you don't sit in on the instruction, right? You like, never know what's going on between a player and a coach. Right. Especially with, like, tour players and good players, right? There, I mean, by nature, they're weird, right? Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and they have feels and they have preferences. And sometimes sometimes they want to go back to something that isn't what we would necessarily prescribe or prefer, but... I mean, that's our job, right? I mean, they're our clients. Yeah, so here's a perfect example. Great player, played 19 major championships, one of the best players in New York in a long time, won several New York State Opens, Met Opens. Came last week, wanted me to give him a checkup before he went to a big series of tournaments, and over pushes on the back of the handle, you know, handle dragging type thing that everybody talks about, way over pushes on the back of the handle. Needed to definitely feel more release, more flexion and extension in the right right hand, left hand going through the head. He knew that. He understood what I was saying. And he said, there is no way I could go on a golf course and try to do that. He says, I can't. I won't play. I said, okay. So then we settled in on, he just felt like instead of pushing on the back of the handle, he was just basically going to keep the club more between his arms and just do less pushing, but with the same wrist action that he had. He shot four under the other day and was a medalist in one of the qualifiers for a big tournament around here. So, I mean, he's a great player as it is, but there's a perfect example of modifying. You know, people might go out, watch him play golf, video his swing, and they may be like, look at this. Jacob's taught this guy, and look how far his hands are before the hit. Look at that. He's pushing on the back of the club. But, you know, that's what he said he wanted, and we, we modified. It's different than people yeah. think. Because we can't ever forget that, like, especially when you're dealing with good players, like they're like a tour player's already been good. They're already great, or hell, they wouldn't be a tour player, right? And Correct. Like, you know, you, you go and I mean, they've got to actually be able to do it when it counts, and uh, and they got to be able to find it, <laughs> right? right? And so right. you got to be careful. I, I think that's one of the things I've learned is like how careful you have to be with great players, really good players, with the information you give them. And like, like you say, like you, you obviously have this great depth of information and knowledge, but like you're careful in who you dispense it to and how much, especially if a guy's going to tee it up in a tournament the next day. Absolutely. Absolutely. So where are you going with science now? So you've, you've done the club, you're working all on the body. Club, the club is completely done. The yeah, club is completely done, fully published, and now is the full body program. So... It's up and running. I'm analyzing swings. I'll be analyzing for another year or so, and then it'll be a book called The Anatomy of the Golf Swing. So when you analyze swings, one, how do you collect them? And two, like, what do you do? And how long does an analysis of a golf swing take for you? Well, you know, what, what type of stuff? Don't give away all your trade secrets, but no, just for no. the, the to know how it, how it goes. You know, optical motion capture is the only way you, you can do it. You have to have okay. I mean, It's got to be down. When you're getting into the you know, the derivative. So like you have the position of the marker on, let's say the club or the body, and then you have a change in that position. And then you're looking for a change in velocity. It has to be real precise to get all the way to accelerations. So optical motion capture, for sure. I kind of planned ahead with the whole teaching versus researching. So whenever Dr. Nesbitt programs for me, we make several versions of it. So I have a student version. I have a ambassador version, and I have a me version, Dr. Nesbitt and I version. So student version is like maybe 15 or 20 things will pop up on the screen, basically what the student, you know, what I would take the everyday student through. And then there's an ambassador version where it's like 
all right, maybe if Tony came up and we worked on a swing and talked about golf swings, it would be more in-depth than the basic, and then the full one. So, you know, the student one, you can get a lot done in an hour. Yeah. In an hour less, and you get a bunch done. The ambassador one, probably two, three hours. And then the one that Dr. Nesbitt and I use could take, it could take three days to go through a whole swing and really, you know, see everything. Yeah, it's pretty intense. So to get all this and to move, you know, to finish it, to go to the book, how many swings do you have to look at to know that you, you know, to to be where you, you're comfortable with it? You, well, well, the good want. news is I've had the motion capture system since 2013, so they, all the swings have been collected. Okay, so, perfect. Yeah, I mean, we capture new people still, obviously, but, you know, the swings have been collected. So what we've also built into the program is every time a swing gets run, in the back end, it starts pouring it into data tables and builds averages and all that. So it's a well-thought-out thing. So I think I don't think it'll take as long as you would think to come to some really okay. good conclusions. So now I'm going to go back to as we kind of move towards the end of this. If you're for that instructor I brought up that I use as an example, yep. and, and they were starting out. What would you advise a young instructor to obviously be patient? I love that. But, like, what technology would you advise them to start with? And how would you advise them, you know, to, to progress as an instructor? What steps would you guide somebody like that to go through? Well, I mean, a lot of teaching. There's no, I mean, all the information <laughs> in the world, you know, doesn't replace the years you spent or I spent out there just grinding out a living, giving golf lessons, you know. You right. get a sharp eye, you get, you know, you start to learn what works and what doesn't work. And, you know, you, you learn a lot about people and all that. You can't bypass that, obviously. And it's just, um, you know, reading more about how the human body works is always a good start. And, you know, the science of the swing is a good start for movement of the club. And just, you know, you just got to keep trying harder every day. It's just, uh, it's not a, um, not an easy thing. No, no. And, and again, I think you hit the nail on the head. And I talked to a teacher earlier, too. Like, there's, you know, the best thing ever happened to me was I taught and I got a break to teach at a beach resort where I just had a bunch of people coming all the time, right? Right. And you got to teach all shapes, sizes, abilities, whatever, and you got to teach the person in front of you. And there's no replacement, I don't think, for when you get started for teaching a bunch of lessons and trying to figure it out. Absolutely. Without question. Michael, great stuff as always, man. You're a treat to have on. And I do want to get up there. I was talking to Matt not long ago. I want to come up and go through that and sit down with you. I learn way better myself one-on-one -on -one where I can hit balls and pick and ask questions and sit in a seminar because I start glazing over thinking about the wine I'm going to drink later. But uh, <laughs> You better. are welcome anytime, my friend. Anytime. Awesome. So, hey, keep up all the great work and fighting the good fight out there against yep. the other half of the room. And I appreciate you sitting in with me, and I'll look forward to catching up with you soon and probably see each other at Pinehurst in November for the Golf Magazine thing, if not, not before. You got it, Tony. Thanks again. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Tour Coach with Tony Ruggiero. If you enjoyed this, make sure to hit subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you are listening to this podcast. You can stay up to date because we have weekly episodes coming your way with fascinating people in the world of golf instruction at the highest level. Make sure to subscribe and stay tuned. If you want to learn more about Tony, head over to dosweepersgolf.com to get all the details on what he's up to. Maybe you want to see him, grab a lesson, or go to one of his camps, pick up his book, Lessons from the Legends. You can do that there. 
you want to see Tony in action with some videos and other content, head over to golfsciencelab.com slash Tony to get more info there. This episode was powered by the Golf Science Lab and was edited, mixed, and produced by Just Hit Published Productions. As we go into year two of the tour coach, it wouldn't be possible without the support of all our sponsors. And I've had some great ones. And one of the things that I'm most proud of in my career and in my business is the fact that all of my relationships here and all these sponsorships have been long time, long withstanding relationships, haven't jumped from sponsor to sponsor and manufacturer to manufacturer. And I've always prided ourselves in special relationships and when people work together, support each other, and we've all put out great products for the benefits of everybody else. So I want to give a special thanks to these folks that have been with me for such a long time. And that would be the folks at Shrixon, Cleveland Golf, and Zexio. Couldn't ask for a better manufacturer to be aligned with. And not only do they put out great product and great support, but they're first-class people and they believe in what we're doing here on the Tour Coach and with the Dew Sweepers and also Vineyard Vines. Ian, Shep, TJ, and all the folks at Vineyard Vines Hard to keep me looking good, but they do a fantastic job. And they're like family. They support everything on the Dew Sweepers. And we're so proud to be affiliated with and support the folks at Vineyard Vines. So if you're out there, you're listening to the tour coach, please support our sponsors, Strixon Cleveland Golf Zexio, as well as Vineyard Vines. And keep listening and keep enjoying hanging out with us here on the tour coach.